Oh, oh, I brought some friends with me. I hope that's okay. I brought some friends. I brought. Uh oh, I, who's here? I brought, I brought. This is my friend Kylo, <laughs> and this is my friend Ray, and they come together, and we call them Raylo. Wait, is that specifically packaged like that, or did you yes. buy that? No, it's Forces of Destiny. So okay. I have almost all of the Forces of Destiny. So here's the thing: every force, every one of the Forces of Destiny that comes out accompanies like a five-minute short, except for these guys. I can't figure it out. Is it coming? <laughs> I hope so. But I thought I thought you'd like to see that they actually did come together as a couple together. Well, does does that forever. say episode nine on it? I, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> but look how close together they are. I mean, there's hardly any space. He might be reaching for her ass for all we know in there. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, it's very You're important. Just digging for, for those signs anywhere you can find them. You know, I've been really enjoying getting to know Mike over the face face, and, um, <laughs> and having these gif wars, gifs, gifs, gif is peanut butter. And, uh, yes, it's gif. Yeah, Definitely. I thought we I would just bring these two with me. Okay. Just bring, in, be, bring in moral support for the podcast. Be right next to me here, Ray Low. <laughs> Do you know what else is there's two of? Two action figures in my Raylo box. <laughs> right next to me. Two together. Packaged two. We should start tallying how many times oh, she brings up Raylo during this sorry. podcast. That has I nothing won't. to that do was with the Star last Wars. One, I promise. No, I, I really think it'd be funny. Raylo. You, you, you fit it in as much as you feel the need to. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm going to have a headache. <laughs> I have that uh, effect that's... on people. <laughs> oh, that's going to be great. Welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and His Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick. Joining me for this episode, back again, is Paula Miller. Hello. And Mike Bradley. If Raylo happens, we riot. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing down the gauntlet already. We didn't even get started yet. That I'm, I'm just That's the gauntlet I'm just throwing down. I'm leaving it there, and I'm hoping we can focus. <laughs> focus. Okay. I'm sure it's going to come back up later on in this episode. I have no doubt of that. It hurts my feelings, but I'll get through it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, if it doesn't come up in this episode, I'm sure you're going to get some Facebook shade from it. You will. <laughs> Guaranteed. Um, all right, so I got a little bit of housekeeping, I guess, to do up front. Um, I did post about this on Facebook today, on the Facebook page, but I'll make the announcement here as well. After 129 episodes in the can, the podcast is finally available through Google Play. So all you Android users out there can now check us out through there. And I got to give a shout out to, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Justin Zwerner for asking about availability through Google Play on the Facebook page. So apparently I tried to set up the podcast for Google Play and never actually went through the approval process to get it going through Google. So that was the missing link. So that has been done. We are approved. You can now find us, search us on Google Play. You can subscribe to us there. 
and uh, keep a lookout for other episodes, and hopefully that'll be easier to find us. I know, because I know there's a lot of people that, I, I keep plugging iTunes all the time, and like Apple Podcasts and stuff like that, but I know not everybody listens through there, so at least we'll give you another avenue to uh, find us and check us out, so hopefully you enjoy. Hooray! Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be, I'll probably keep trying to plug that, at least on the Facebook page, and maybe the next couple times we record, just to get the, hopefully get the message out there. Um, so, for this episode, as promised, we'll be doing our Ready Player One review. And if you've listened to review episodes in the past, normally when we try to do this, we try to start out spoiler-free, give our thoughts, and just sort of overall impressions of the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, or if you want to hear what people that have seen the movie think before making a decision to see the movie, hopefully we give you sort of a sense of what to expect. And then uh, after we talk a bit about that stuff, we'll get into the spoilers, and there will be a specific warning whenever we get to that point. Uh, So kicking off our spoiler-free section... I actually want to start with Paula, because Mike and I have read the book, so we, I think, had an idea what to expect from this movie. But uh, Paula, going in, how much did you know, or what did you expect going into this movie? Um, So if anybody knows me, they know that I love spoilers. Um, (laughs) I love reading about spoilers. I love learning about backstories. Like, I don't need to be surprised. Um... So going into this movie, I actually knew nothing. Um, I walked into the bookstore and realized it was a book, didn't buy it, and I love to read. Um, But I read nothing about it. I only knew that Steven Spielberg directed it, didn't know anybody that was in it, so everybody was a surprise that was in it. Um, I went in with no expectations other than Steven Spielberg is amazing, and he's my brother from another mother. (laughs) Uh, we share the same birthday so we're technically cosmic twins i I accept that yes yes um so i went in with absolutely no expectations now my husband went in with he was not gonna like it he went (laughs) in with yeah why are you dragging me to this movie and i'm like it looks amazing um just through maybe the one or two i didn't even see a ton of previews for it to be honest so um yeah going into it with no expectations and no, like this is, it was just, it really blew my mind. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I don't think there was a lull in the movie that I was like, God, I got to get through this, but I, I enjoyed it from beginning to end. I really did. So this is maybe a little bit surprising to me because you were just mentioning how you eat up spoilers and you like learning all that stuff. So what, why did you not look for spoilers for this movie before you saw it? I think this movie was under my radar because I remember listening to your podcast when you um, you guys were getting ready to watch, you know, getting your lists ready of what you wanted to watch this year. And this one didn't right, even okay. make my list because I, I posted my list and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I'm not okay, even yeah, sure yeah. that I'm interested in that. Um, I'm not a huge gamer, but I have had an Atari in my lifetime. <laughs> so... Um, Every good little sister did. <laughs> so I just, I, I didn't know if I was going to be really interested in the story. Okay. Um, but it's a great story. And I really enjoyed the story too. It was great storytelling and <clears throat> just the cinematography too blew my mind. The cinematography was beautiful. And like I was saying to you earlier, Brian, I just, to catch everything in it, I think that was the frustrating part about it was yeah. there were so many references I didn't get because 
I was so busy watching the interactions of the main character. And as I'm watching it, I'm seeing all these references. I'm like that. I just, there's so many I didn't get. And so many that when I went back and read some more articles on the movie, I was like, oh, I need to see this again (laughs) because there's so much in there that I would enjoy that I've missed because I'm focused on the main characters in the story. And I think that's something that, you know, people, if you want to complain about it, I think that's something that may be a valid complaint is that the, the references are so in your face and so all over the place that it can be distracting and sort of pull you out of the movie or, or pull you away from what you should be focusing on. Um, and I mean the books like that too, I guess, but, Maybe just being more of a visual medium with the movie, it's just it's easier for your eyes to wander when you're when you're watching stuff on the screen. And you know, you do catch things. You're like, oh my gosh, look at that! Oh my gosh, look at that! Yeah. And you're thinking, wow, look at all this stuff, the cool stuff I'm seeing, but what am I missing? So right, I missed See, a lot. <laughs> I I knew it was going to be that way going in, and I had more than one intended viewing, anyways. So the first time, I just tried to have like tunnel vision on the story and take it all in but you know focused without like getting lost and all the look at this look at that in the second viewing i went with my wife and same kind of thing let myself wander a little bit in the third viewing i was just seeing how many references i could find it was just you know where what, what else can i spot that i didn't see last time i think that's was... why i need it to come to video like pause it in different places yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh yeah that yeah that one of those last scenes where there's many characters on screen at once that battle oh yeah (laughs) which i mean they tease that in the trailer so that's that's not as spoilery okay (laughs) so during that battle scene that you see all those characters on screen at once being able to pause that and see all what actually is there because when it goes by so quickly, you're going to spot a couple things here, a couple things there, but you're not going to see it all. Right. So getting able to pause it and see everything they actually put in, and seeing how much of it was filler. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, that'll be interesting to see. How well, I mean, we were doing that alone they... just on the trailers they put out. The one the mm-hmm. one or two that we talked about on the, on the podcast before when the trailers premiered, it was like, okay, what do you see in this frame? And at this time code, <laughs> what are you picking up here? It's it's just the nature of this type of movie that with all these references, it's it's a literal Easter egg hunt. Even just on home video, when you're looking around at all everything that's in the frame, yep, you'll be trying to find all those Easter eggs yourself. Which is which I think is half the fun. I I can see that being distracting for people, and you know if you're not as into this type of culture and these pop culture references and the things that are mentioned or shown in the movie, I could see you just sort of rolling your eyes and groaning about all the stuff that they're showing and talking about, but. For people like us that are into geek culture and the the stuff that's in here, this is this is nirvana for all of us. <laughs> right. It's a good way of putting it. And for someone who didn't read the book, and maybe you guys can explain it a little bit better, is what is amazing to me is how they fit everything in together. Like how mm. it's a puzzle and all these references just like flow perfectly. And um it was just like who who's this is amazing. Like every <laughs> every reference kind of ties into the story and it's just so good. And Paul, you and I were sort of talking before we started recording, but I know Mike, you talked you and I talked about this I think after seeing the movie, but the the 
way the puzzles work in the book as opposed to the movie are different, but they're not different in a bad way, I don't think. Like, right. the, they're still progressing through the story in the way the book does, but the way the puzzles are framed, they had to do them differently for the movie. It makes complete sense for the movie. The ones in the book make complete sense for the book. Yep. And because they're different, it was still a surprising experience to having read the book see the movie and still be surprised about what they're doing and how they're solving all these puzzles. Yeah. Like, and I think what I had said to you at the time was, you know, the references and the specific instances that they use in the movie for those puzzles. I think it's better that they have things that are completely different. Yeah. Because for the franchise as a whole, it creates more total immersion for them within that era of pop culture mm. as opposed to having that set you know list from the book be the same set list from the movie i'd be bored with that you right. know knowing what was going to come next would be boring seeing it the first time and reading it and seeing it and watching it it would get old having them be different means every time you read the book and watch the movie you get a different experience right um Paula, we'll come back to you. Do you have any other spoiler-free impressions or general general impressions you want to get out before we jump into spoilery no. stuff? No, I'm just embarrassed that I didn't think this was going to be a movie for me, and it was totally a movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the best kind, right? You go in with very low or non-expectations, and then you're completely surprised. That's the best yeah. way to see a movie. I'm still thinking mm -hmm. The Meg is not going to be a movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike has some thoughts about that one. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry. I, I read that book... 15 years ago for the first time and I've been wanting to see a movie ever since and I watched the fucking preview for it and I just wanted <laughs> to shoot myself um, which I knew as soon as they cast Jason Statham in the lead role I was like this is over this is supposed to be a movie about like claustrophobia and suspense at the bottom of the Mariana Trench in complete darkness with a glow in the dark giant shark it, and it, that's what it's supposed to be, is like this ridiculous claustrophobia that you feel inside this little tin can that you're in down there. And this is going to be about, look at the shark. <laughs> it looks okay for the money that we have for a budget. Like they spend like it on Jason like, Statham. <laughs> I feel like it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up like Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. And then by the end of it, Jason Statham's going to jump kick that shark and the movie's going to end. <laughs> um... Mike, let's come around to you. Do you have any other just overall impressions, general thoughts of the um, movie that you want to get out? General thoughts? I mean, we're going to delve into all of it, but I obviously really enjoyed the movie a lot. Um, there are certain flaws in this movie that if you want to look at it as award-worthy cinema, you're going to feel really disappointed. Um, but... If you're willing to just accept a fun ride and not be somebody that's overcritical of it throughout the whole thing, it's a hell of a fun ride of a movie. Fair enough. Um, the I'm trying to see what I can get out that's not spoilery. Um, like Paula was saying, I think it's visually stunning. Um, I really like the way the Oasis looked, which is you know kind of exaggerated video game style, which I liked. Um, I... Again, the pop culture references might be distracting for some people. I ate that shit up. I loved all that stuff. Um, 
I mentioned that it was, you know, the, the book and the movie are different, but in a good way. I liked that part of it, too. Um, the only thing I think, complaint-wise, that I might have that we can get into specifically when we get into the spoiler stuff, I feel like the pacing needed some work. I feel like it it jumps around to the next thing very quickly and focuses a lot on the puzzles and doesn't give you a lot outside of the puzzles to really latch on to, which, yeah. having read the book, I think I think carries a little bit more weight there, but... It does. It does pick you up and doesn't really set you down until the end of the movie, which is good. But I think there was some some missing spots there. But overall, yes. I still freaking loved it. I think in um, one of these instances, this is a. I'm kind of happy that I didn't read the book first, like that I saw the movie first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm. I think I'm ready for the book. Okay. Yeah. If you if you get to the point where you read the book, we'll have to come back and talk about the book and see what you think. Okay. Uh, all right, so we're going to go into a spoiler discussion now. Uh, so if you've seen the movie, uh, feel free to continue. If you haven't and don't want to be spoiled, you can pause us now. Come back to us after you've seen Ready Player One. Because from here on out, we'll be covering spoilers. And this is your final warning for spoilers for Ready Player One. Wee-oo-wee-oo. Spoiler! Wee-oo-wee-oo. Spoiler! You know, something like that. Uh, all right, so we're in the spoiler territory now. So... I'll let either of you start. Anything specific you guys uh, want to touch on? Paul, well, you're them. the guest. We'll, okay. we'll let Paul go first. Okay. Sure. Um, I think the race scene was one of my favorite part of, of the movie. Of the puzzles? Or, okay. Uh, yes. Um, the puzzles, the movie, or the puzzles, the uh, <clears throat> and my favorite part of the movie. Because after I went back and kind of reviewed, I saw some cars in there, but then after I went back, um, I was like, oh my gosh, there was so much more, so much more um, vehicles in that race than I realized. Because I was so focused on the DeLorean because I'm a DeLorean freak. (laughs) Um, And uh, I know I was saying to you that the Batmobile was in there. Um, Bigfoot was in there. Um, and then the, the DeLorean actually had the Knight Rider um, front of it, yes, the lights on the yeah. front like Kit had, um, the A-Team van, the, mm-hmm. um, which one did I miss? Mach 5, I think you said. Was the Mach 5 was in there. And then Christine. it was, <laughs> yes, Christine. And then it actually referenced a formula, one of the formula racing games too, and it's set up. So I think mm. that uh, that was just, Things like that, seeing that in the movie um, was one of the parts that was frustrating. But then when I went back and did my research on the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, there was so much more, so many more cars in there that I didn't get to see because I was they're all over the place. You can't possibly yeah. see them all. It's impossible. It is, that race is very chaotic. It's hard to track. Like it, you can understand what's going on with. Uh, Wade and like him through the race, but as far as like all the other races, it's racers. It's so jumbled up and fast and connected. It's hard to keep track of where the, what cars are doing what. So I know mm-hmm. you see a lot of them at the starting line, but I have no idea once that light turns green where everybody goes. Right. I mean, I think you see the Batmobile right at the end too. Yeah, I think he um, pushes him over. Yeah, that's where H ends the race. Like he pushes him off the edge when he tries to stop. Yeah. And the Batmobile just goes... So that one gets a little bit more screen time, but the other ones I don't remember seeing once the light turns green. Yeah, like, it gets hectic. But that's good, though. That's what a race scene should look like. It should be 
you know, hero moments just because, like, oh, look, we included this car and give every one of them a hero moment. No, just make it a race. (laughs) And I don't know. The the, the race scene to me was fantastic fun. Um, I wish they hadn't spoiled as much of that as they had in the trailers. Because if you don't know that T-Rex is going to show up and eat a car (laughs) during that race scene... Then that's just like one of those awesome, like, holy shit, the Jurassic Park T-Rex is there eating cars. And you don't know it's going to happen in the racing. Like, you, that would be awesome. It was still awesome. But I didn't been know that. if you didn't know that. See, I, so you got to experience it without knowing. I really Jealous. wasn't paying attention to the previews. There was just something about this movie that was just like flying under my radar. And I did not realize that. And then I'm like, that's the, that's the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Um, See, and this like illustrates my point as to why we should go into movies as clean as possible. Yeah, because not seeing those trailers and the spoilers and because most if you watch the trailers for the movie, I think most of that first race is spoiled in the in the compilation of trailers that have been put out in the marketing. I will say that that was one of the only things they really spoiled, though. That's true. Yeah, you see glimpses of the final battle, but not a lot of it. Yeah, like you don't get any context. The whole second puzzle battle. was out of the marketing at all. Yeah. So that was a complete surprise that. to me. So that was cool. Yeah. I mean, what I would say, I want to interject and say, let's get the negative out of the way first, and then we can focus on fun. Okay. Because for me, the negative is very much that you did not get enough of a relationship development between Parzival, Artemis, and H. Yes. Um, it, it just it, Parzival and H is friends. Parzival and Artemis is a love story. I feel like we go from you know, oh hey, we just met to I'm in love with you in the blink of an eye. Um, it feels way too soon. Um, I mean, they they try to sell it, and it like they they make references to. I think Parzival even says like, "Why well, follow her on Twitch and all this other like." All yeah, this seems but- like borderline stalking her. I don't so he at just, least has something in his mind for her, but yeah, it's, it seems a little rushed for her to be into him. Right. And I feel like, as someone who loves love, like... Um, <laughs> Hashtag Raylo Trash. Know, exactly. Raylo Trash. <laughs> um, and who tries to force love on people, yes. Um, <laughs> I feel like she was right in that scene when, you know, after they were dancing and do Saturday Night Fever... And he's like, I love you. And she's like, no, you don't. You don't even know me. (laughs) And it's kind of like what happens when people are on the internet and, you know, they're talking to someone they don't know. And they're like, oh, my God, I love you. You're amazing. When she's like, no, you really don't. And it's not till after that they, you know, form a bond as actual people where he's like, yeah, you're still amazing. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, even that is like, what, five minutes later in the movie? And that was my like. He he leaves there, and then it's like we get the scene with him in Sorrento's office. The thing blows up, and then they take him back to her. And, and that's like, my issue with the pacing. I think if those scenes yeah. are drawn out, I think that works better. A little bit more build up. In in the book, with this relationship they get built, they don't they don't cover the passage of time that occurs between Parzival finding the copper key you know going through the first gate 
all this stuff that happens after he's met Artemis for the first time. And it's like a year before anybody locates the Jade Key. Yeah. But they've been knowing each other and talking this whole year. And then you get that nightclub scene. Oh, that's a big difference. Where after a year, she still says that to him. And it has just a whole different weight to it at that point. Like, no, I have to focus on this. You're just distracting me. And she's really just guarding herself because she's self-conscious about the birthmark. And she doesn't trust people to actually care about who she is because she's never really experienced that. She doesn't have a team of people around her. She's just as isolated as he is. It's a different story between the two of them in the book, for sure. Yeah, the uh, the passage of time helps because it, it like the movie passage of time. We're looking at maybe like four days. Yeah, from start to finish. Which that moves by in a clip in the movie, and like like you said, the book definitely extends that out. That these puzzles are a lot harder to find, the clues are a lot harder to crack, and it takes that much more effort instead of just like up oh, we're on to the next one, up oh, we're on to the next one, up oh, we're on to the next one. Right, and the nothing like zero explanation given as to how the Sixers find the final <laughs> test to me was like, can yeah. even, like just explain it like. It takes, what, 30 seconds to give us an explanation as to why they found it first or how? You know? Uh... Yeah, because um, it was like, I forget where they came out of from this. It was the, they just had like the second key. And I think yeah. they were leaving that puzzle. And then it was like, okay, they found the third key where it's at. It's like, what just happened? How yeah. did they get there? What was, how did they figure out where it was? Like, because they weren't even like barely out of the Shining Hotel with the key. But then somehow well, they were. the Sixers had went in, got the key themselves, come back out, and were already cracking and going for the third no, key no, before no. they well, even realized what the hell was going on. No, it happens. They go back and they're in like that resi- rebellion, resistance, whatever, hideout. Mm. They get raided there. She lets herself get captured. And then when he gets out and H finds him, like That's when, when H, Shoto, and they... Daito, she's like, yeah. they just found how, the, the last gate. Okay. Or whatever. They just found the last part. So there is a little bit of a passage of time. Because him and uh, Sam and Wade are talking about right, that right. last yeah. riddle. And then they get raided. Everything splits. And H tells them about it. And it's like... See, it's like I, I know I remember watching that now that we're talking about it. And yet it's still like really stood out to me as like, wow, that was fucking quick. Mm-hmm. So, two things. Um, as a Disney princess point of view, people can fall in love in four days. <laughs> it happens in the movies. Um, so I still believe it. Love it. I well, love, we're love. working on less than that for Raylo, so. <laughs> right? Hand porn. Um, <laughs> uh, my question is, in the book, how, so the Sixers find the last puzzle. How do they do it in the book? It's not at all the same. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the, the last puzzle... This made reference to it being on planet Doom. And some for some reason, Anorak's castle was also on planet Doom. Where they do all the PvP. And it was like... That doesn't make any sense, but okay. Um, I believe in the book, Anorak's castle was... 
kind of like its own standalone planet with several versions of Anorak's castle. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. I'm trying or it's to just it's, one giant I read fortress. The, I only read the book once. It's been a while. So some of the details, especially in the third think, act, are kind of lost on me. I think it may actually be that the, like Anorak's castle lies on its own small planet. And it's its own giant fortress. And it's always been there. And nobody's ever been able to enter it. Except Anorak, of course, when he wanted to. But now that they had the two keys, they were able to walk past the open gate. And they okay. could actually enter it. And then, like I said, the, the puzzle itself is completely different. Um, in the book, the game Adventure is mentioned in the beginning as the inspiration for uh, Halliday to create the egg hunt. Okay. Um, but that is not how it is... That is not at all how the final puzzle goes in the book. <laughs> I want to say like the puzzle that they had to deal with in the book related somewhat to the Magic School Bus song. <laughs> I don't remember um, that at all now. That you where like, all three of them had to put the keys in at the same time to enter the gate. Just remember, they get the crystal key from the Temples of Syrinx. The, the rush portion is where they get oh, the crystal yeah. key. Okay. And then they, ha they have to go to Anorak's castle, and then three people have to put the key in at the same time. He wanted people to be friends, and he wanted friends to have to do it together. But they Aww. put the key in, they turn it, but then they get ported out separately within it. They don't get to do the final challenge together. So they get into a different challenge at the end of it. Okay. So it's... Interesting. And I'd have to look up and remember which challenge is which. I know part of the final challenge, if I remember correctly, is a similar thing to the Shining part, but with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So instead of entering the hotel from the Shining, they get put into the movie for Monty Python. There's definitely one for Ferris Bueller, too. Where did Ferris Bueller fit in? His No, it wasn't Ferris Bueller. It was War Games. I just wonder if there's a, like a very big Ferris Bueller part in there. Unless I'm forgetting it. Maybe I'm... Again, it's been a while since I've read it. So I know they did War Games was the first one, the first gate. Yeah. So, and that, that's the other thing that they didn't do in the movie, Paula, that we may be confusing you. There was challenges to get the keys, challenges okay. to open gates, and then challenges inside those gates. Dang! <laughs> so, right, it was all a little bit different. Like, to get the copper key... Um... Parzival had to find his way to a hidden, like, uh, dungeon, where he had to find his way through the dungeon. It was like an old addition to Dungeons and Dragons that it was based on. He had to find his way to the end of it, find the Lich King or Lich Wizard, something like that, guarding it at the end. And he had to beat that playing Joust. He had to beat it at the Joust arcade game. That I remember, yeah. And that was just to get the key. And that's Once why we have screenplays. Yes. <laughs> well, this is then, one of the things that irritated me with the pacing, which, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off, so if you have a train of thought. I was just going to say, he gets the key, he has to go to Halliday's childhood house, play on his Atari, a specific game, to the end, which then opens the first gate. Once that gate is open, he has to go and reenact line for line Matthew Broderick's role from War Games. 
Okay. So it's that that's just leading into <laughs> Okay, here's the clue for the jade key. And then he wow. gets that clue then. Okay. Yeah, um, it's, so it's a little more crazy in the book, but it's a book versus a movie. So Yeah, and I think you know, you can definitely get more from the book and that's sort of maybe one of my complaints I guess with the movie is that the movie just starts off and the first puzzle is like there. Like he even mentions like, well, somebody somewhere opened the first gate and it leads to this race and you have to do the race to get the first key in the book. There's this whole lead up to trying to find the first key and not to mention the way they frame the Oasis in the, in the movie is basically like, Oh, it's just an escape for people to go to, to play video games in the book. This is where people go to work. This is where people go to school. This is where they leave, live their lives now because the real world is so shitty and you do pass Ludus in that opening sequence. Yes. It is Yeah, but there. they never mention, like, that's where you go to school and all that no, stuff. No, they, but they just give you the Ludus sign, like, as a throwback for the people that read the book. Like, here's the Ludus, and they move on. Because that was a big point of the book, was that the first key is on that planet, where... Because it's, it's, there's, like, I think, if I remember right, there's, like, different pay tiers in the Oasis, so you can only... You can access certain areas if you're paying more money. Ludus no, was well, a free planet... It wasn't pay tiers, it was you had to pay to teleport places. So if you wanted okay, to travel, okay. it either cost you fuel... That's right, that's right. ...or a teleport fee. And it, since like, since Wade was poor even in Oasis, he couldn't really go to other planets or go anywhere, so he was stuck on this one world, and that was the world where everyone could be... Ex- it was, you know, that world was accessible to Scipio, everyone. Okay. I think is what it was called. Scipio and that was where like that. the first key was, so it, it like, Halliday built the well, challenge so anybody could could do it well no that's actually not true he went the the world that was open to everyone was scipio and then ludus was where you went to school ludus was a planet full of nothing but schools yeah but isn't that still like a free planet didn't you you able to go there to learn stuff not if you weren't enrolled in school oh so it's specifically you have to be a student yes you had to be enrolled in school to be on it like you couldn't just go searching it but then once okay, they okay. found the key, they told the others, who all kind of happened to be students, with maybe the exception of Artemis, but we don't know how she found it, because she technically yeah. finds that dungeon first. But then That's H right. gets it, and Daito and Sho are also students there. And, um, But then the Sixers do the same thing with every spot that they find, where... Which, by the way, if you've watched the news, what I'm about to say is kind of funny because <sighs> poor T.J. Miller evidently oh. got drunk and made a bomb threat. <laughs> um, and all I could think the whole time is, did they just misinterpret him saying it's the Orb of Asavox? <laughs> and I, I, I just occurred to me, like, they may have just misinterpreted what he meant. You know, I'm not sure. But that Orb of Asavox is something they made up for the movie. But there's a similar idea in the book where a with each individual step the sixers put up a barrier around it each time like every time they go they're putting barriers up over everything once they find out where it's at yeah yeah it's not just that final castle it's every time they're like okay let's do it see i apparently forgot a lot of the book now that we're talking about it i feel like my details are all skewed i have to i have to go back and read it again like i'm actually rereading it currently so okay um, fresh, but yeah, like, and as much as I hate 
what TJ Miller's become and how crazy he's become, Irock was still a fun character to have there. Like, yeah, I, I feel it. Like it's one of those things where I wish TJ Miller wasn't a shithead. <laughs> because Irock was still a fun character and when he dies and there's just these mounds of shit that he's accumulated and all this gold it's just like wow that was kind of hilarious when yeah that pile of shit that falls out of him out I, of I his arm it. I was um sitting there and when not the voice that I expected again going in with no <laughs> idea and I'm hitting my husband going that's the guy from Deadpool Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's how I know him so, um, no, I, it was hilarious. He was very funny. Well, let's spin off from there. What did you guys think of the, the characters and actors for everybody? Did they all they all work um, for you? Any standouts or anything for you? Ben Mendelsohn was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like he, The only thing I feel like they got wrong about him was when he kind of smiles at Parzival getting the egg at the very end. When he's kind of like, you know what? Okay, kid. You got uh, yeah. it. Yeah. That wasn't that was out of Sorrento's character entirely. The rest of the movie, he stays on it. And it's Ben Mendelsohn. It's what you expect from this guy. Like he there's a reason they chose him. Yeah. In the, like just the description at the beginning, the dickweed in a suit. <laughs> like he played it well. Um to me, like uh, if there was a standout for me it was it was him. Okay. Paul, anybody for you? Um, I've I had to go back, and there was a couple of people. the The woman who played H, um, it took okay. me a really long time to figure out who she was, but I remember her from um, the Netflix series with Aziz Ansari, uh, mm. uh, Master okay. of okay. None. Okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I loved her in Master and None of Master of None, and when I saw her in this, I'm like, oh yeah, that's. <laughs> surprising and hilarious that um you know she's giving parzival the speech on hey you know um you don't know who's out there they could be a girl they could be a guy you don't Chuck. Know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be a 350 bald man <laughs> living in his mother's basement his and it's really Chuck. her and i love that that was yeah that was a awesome reveal um i i really like the care the um the guy who played parzival he was uh, Ty Sheridan. Yeah, yes. he was very believable as like somebody living in like the slum of Columbus and just a normal <laughs> looking guy, like just normal looking kid, like nothing, you know, outstanding about his features or nothing that makes him like a heartthrob or anything I, like that. He looks normal. Well, and I, I think they they like pimpled him up a little bit for this. It seemed like they they tried to give him that appearance, just a little bit. They didn't overboard it. But I think they tried to give him a more shut-in gamer-like appearance. Mm. I actually think I liked his performance, but I feel like he stood out more and did a better job in the motion capture voiceover sections than the live-action sections. I agree. I don't know why, but that's just the sense that I got. I feel like there's more emotion imparted on the face of that character than there is on his own. Oh, that I don't be. feel like he gives a very wide range of emotion himself. Okay. I actually recently just watched um, the Stanford Experiment. I don't know if you've seen that, but no. surprised you haven't. But um, it's Billy Crudup, Ezra Miller, Ty Sheridan, and a few other people that 
you'd recognize but aren't normal names, like not A-list names, and they're just recreating the old Stanford prison experiment. Um, and he plays, like, one of the central roles in it. It's a very emotional role, and same goes for Ezra Miller. Very a wide range of emotions in the role. Ezra Miller kills it in that, and Ty Sheridan kind of... Eh, not <laughs> so mean, much. In his defense, not for... I mean, for Ready Player One, um, knowing from talking to my own teenager niece and how unemotional she is, like, <laughs> she's much more emotional on instagram than she is in real life so okay so maybe it's a maybe it's a, a choice that's being yeah. made for the movie like you're you're more free to be i guess in the oasis anything you want to be so you're more liberated with your feelings yeah. than you would be in real life like going up and talking to a girl in real life is absolutely terrifying but going up <laughs> and talking to a girl in the oasis is like you know i can dance to saturday night fever I've got these mad skills, so I can see. I don't know, the first time he meets Artemis too, he didn't he didn't do too good in the Oasis either. Yeah, that's true. He was a little awkward, which was adorable. <laughs> in um, it, speaking of the Saturday Night Fever thing, if there was one thing I would change a little bit, <laughs> it's the soundtrack. Um, it, 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 you have that whole breadth of '80s awesome music to choose from, and I feel like they they were a little too vanilla with it. Yeah, like I wanted some more deep cuts. From yeah, the 80s than they I kind of thought that too. Up. That being said, though, the music they chose, I don't have a problem with. I think it fits what they're doing. Yeah, it, and it also felt like the movie was the sound was a little bit strange. The movie didn't the the music didn't come through as loud as I felt like it should have in most scenes. Okay, like it yeah, felt I, like very toned down background type music that you're not right. supposed to know, but. At the same time, it feels like they're trying to make a point with the music, and it's like, it should yeah. be louder if you're, you know. The only time it was loud enough, I feel like, was the dance club. Yeah. Like, where it felt like it was loud, but, eh. Uh, I'm going to spin back around to characters. I think the character for me that stood out that I thought was pitch perfectly cast and acted was Mark Rylance as Halliday. Ah, uh, yes. That, that was like... Well. I think he performed that exactly the way I pictured that from the book. So to me, that was that was spot on, and I loved it. I think I actually was talking to a friend of mine the other day about the fact that I think he might get a nomination at some point for that, because if they look into the fact that he's trying to play him as though he has Asperger's, I think that's fantastic, the, uh, how yeah, well okay. he did yeah. with the character in that sense. If they're just looking at him as, oh, he's playing a weirdo, yeah, whatever they'll probably not look at it but if you look at that as him playing that as somebody that has Asperger's he's pretty amazing because oh. th that, that's like the one thing they reference in the book is like he, he either was like high functioning down syndrome or had Asperger's and they obviously went with the Asperger's not high functioning down syndrome but that's perfect yeah so I would definitely agree um, what do you guys think of the directing? Do you think this is more, I don't, maybe a return to form, quote unquote, for for Spielberg, since he hasn't really done like one of these adventure blockbusters for a while? Yeah, I I think it's more. It feels more Spielberg traditionally than say the BFG or Lincoln. You know. Yeah. So, 
it feels think, more traditional, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, no, I just, I think it's like a comfortable kind of movie for him. Um, I didn't see the movie where he directed with all those kids who got in contact with a spaceship and I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but do you know what I, the one I'm talking about? No, I'm trying to think. <sighs> Are you talking it. about, I thought that was JJ Abrams. I think though, I think I know the talking one you're thinking Super of. Was that? I thought that was Spielberg. Super Eight yeah. was J.J. Abrams directed, but very heavily Spielberg influenced. Oh, okay. Yes. Um. But like I was talking to you earlier, Brian, I just, I mean, Spielberg has a range that can, he can do anything basically. So, and talking to you guys, I can see how, um, like, I enjoyed it, but knowing that there's this other kind of story that I didn't know um, makes me wonder what I've missed in from the book in the well, movie. It, here's the thing. They're both great on their own. Yeah. It's just, I think the book gives you more context into the relationships and gives them more weight than the movie does. And the book um, definitely, the, I think the one part that even, even for as much as I love references, the, the beginning part of that book when you start it, just basically just starts name dropping a bunch of stuff oh, yeah. just for the sake of name dropping. Yep. And it's it gets really ridiculous really quickly. But if you can get through that and sort of just roll with it after that, I think you're fine. I, I want to say the first sentence in the book, or at least the first paragraph, you get, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> and one of my right, like right then lines. I'm reading the first page of the book and I'm getting, I get like this far in and I'm like, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah. old. I'm going to read the rest of this. <laughs> so but I, I think they had enough references in it for me because, um, I mean, there was a lot that I didn't get, like a lot of video game references that I didn't get after I did the research, like, um, pistol styles and, you know, characters from major video games that I've never played. Like, um, I mean, I've played Atari, but there was a lot that I didn't know. Like, I was a Kaboom girl more than I was <laughs> an adventure girl. So, like, there was a lot of references that I, I would not understand unless I did the, the, you know, research or listen to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, plug. <laughs> I'll be fair. The book does the same thing. Um, the book has a lot. It has a wide range of references, and it references a lot of 80s Japanese pop culture as well. Um, in, in so much that, like, in the book, that final battle scene, the High Five and Sorrento and his Sixers all have giant robots. It's not just the Iron Giant, Gundam, and the Godz Mecha Godzilla. They all, at the one stage got to, when they completed it, one of the gates, got to choose a giant robot from a list. But once you selected it, it was gone. You were the only one that could get it. So they had all these things there, and you were about to have this giant robot-on-robot -robot battle. And I want to say it was... Um, Artemis and the robot that she chose, which I can't remember what it was right now, but she takes out the five that we're going to try and make Voltron and swings <laughs> that battle in their favor. But the one that Parzival chooses is the Leopardon from the Japanese So Supida Man, which was the Japanese version of Spider-Man. 
and of somehow course. he gets a giant robot in the Japanese version. Um, to, which to me, like he, they bring that up, and that's like one of the ones I can think of specifically from the book where I was like, "What the fuck is Leopardon and Supida Man?" Like it just to me that one was just like I have no fucking clue. But they explain it so that you understand like what they're talking about, and they do that with a lot of the references. But you're still just kind of like, what? Yeah. I'll, so. I'll agree to that. Yeah. Um, speaking of, well, let's just jump off to, with the references. Um, any any references or Easter eggs that stood out to you guys that you enjoyed? Maybe above other, some, of, some of the other ones that were in there. The first one to me, the first time I watched it, I laughed out loud when I seen the Goldie Williams poster. The Goldie Williams the mayor <laughs> on the wall, I just, I died laughing. I was just like, thank you for that. Just, I love you right now, movie. Like, <laughs> And I couldn't see what was on the title of the picture, but on the right side of that mirror, there's a bearded Will Wheaton. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know if it was a picture of Will Wheaton or like a character that Will Wheaton is playing, but I, okay. I caught that one before the Goldie Wilson one. The Wesley Crushers. <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. Um, Batman, like in the opening scene oh. of the Oasis, like the Michael Keaton Batman. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> I was even trying to analyze, uh, I don't, I don't, Mike, maybe since you're a little bit more fresh with the book, you can refresh my memory, but how does Parzival describe his outfit from the book? Is it close to what they show in the movie? Cause I definitely no. recognized the, uh, he, the only Star Wars thing I could catch, other than the name drop of the Millennium Falcon, is that Parzival is wearing Han Solo's holster. He is, and Anorak also says, good work, Padawan. Yes, yeah. He, so that that's there, too. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, Spielberg couldn't get enough of the rights for the stuff from Star Wars to get in there. I know, there's a bunch of noticeable Disney <sighs> yeah, things omissions. that are not in, in there. And that's the other thing that, like, granted, you read the book and you realize they're never going to be able to make this into a movie because there's so much references and rights issues in yeah, the book. Yeah, they'll need every to to... studio to work together. Right, and that's never going to happen. Granted, they got a good bit of stuff in here, but it's I think a lot if of you're Warner actually, Brothers. Right, if you actually sit down and look at who owns what, Warner Brothers made the movie. The majority of the stuff in there is Warner Brothers. So I've seen some articles even online talking about is this movie sort of hypocritical of pop culture because you're not getting a well-rounded look at pop culture. You are getting pop culture filtered through Warner Brothers, which basically could turn into a big ad like Sorrento wanted in the Oasis of just Warner Brothers stuff, Warner Brothers stuff, Warner Brothers stuff. Sure. Uh, And I get their point, but I also say, would you rather just have not seen the movie because it was never going to happen where everybody agreed to put everything in it? Right, right. Well, I also think that, like, Star Wars is in motion right now, so they can't possibly do something that might change in the future if you throw in something from Star Wars. Well, I feel like, the, you know, the original trilogy stuff is sacred. Like, they yeah, name dropped like the Millennium Falcon. You could have put the Millennium Falcon in there somewhere. Right. Uh, a lightsaber could have been somebody's weapon. Yeah, just a Star Wars weapon. Um, I would have been satisfied with that. Yeah, like, there's a lot of things they could have done. Like, to me, the one that I would have been my absolute favorite moment in the movie had they done it that they didn't do is when he finds the copper key in the book. The first time he finds the copper key, 
there's a band that plays when he finds it in the movie that you know unmanned band that just automatically plays floating horns and all that Mm -hmm. stuff right in the book he states that that band pops up and plays the throne room song from a new hope when they're getting the medals put on them and everything like that and i'm just like that that was one where i'm like that would just feel like victory that That song just feels like victory yeah yeah. No. It, like, that would have just been that point in the movie where you're like, oh, yes! And <laughs> nerdgasm right there. But it doesn't happen because they can't get those rights. And I understand that. That said, I still had the nerdgasm when he throws the Zemeckis cube and you get the audio <laughs> cues uh, from oh, Back, the, to, yeah, the Back to the Future. Yeah. You, you get that you get that sound, that same whatever the hell instrument that is. It's amazing how, like, three notes of a twinkle happen yeah. in a movie and you're like fucking back to the future that's back to the future yeah and then you're like oh wait so now it makes sense so make his cube it stops time it goes back and oh, there, was shit, a, that's awesome. there was a sharp intake of breath and aaron and i <laughs> looked at each other like we know that sound like we didn't say anything we just looked at each other <laughs> smiled and went back to the movie <laughs> yeah like this that, is the best type of moments yeah and this movie had lots of those like Brian, I don't know. I know you with horror movies. Have you watched The Shining? I have not. Okay. But so when I know he's enough standing of The Shining the in pop culture to they, like get the references and stuff like that when they were happening. Yeah. When, yeah. When he stands at the elevator and they're just like, no! No! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like, H has no idea. He goes down and he grabs on room 237 and he's like, oh, I'll go in here. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, just one thing after the next with H in there. It was just like, this is perfect. <laughs> like, he sees the twins, he's like, oh, hey, little girls. I feel it, like this is the obvious answer, but is The Shining a Warner Brothers movie? Uh, yes. Okay. So that makes um, sense why that one's in there, too. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Warner Brothers now owns all the Kubrick movies. Okay. I mean, I think Spielberg is a fan of Kubrick. Yeah. So I think I think that makes sense that he would look for that movie to put in there. So I get that. Like, if he had first choice, that might even it, have been the one he was choosing. It surprised the hell out of me that they went Shining, though. Like, I was not thinking they were going to go that route at all. Even if you told me they were going to do a Kubrick movie, I wouldn't have thought that. Like, that... Again, that movie is not as familiar to me as maybe some others. Like, when they first walk through the door and they're in the lobby of the hotel, there was noticeable gasps and stuff in the theater that I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> with like, people. What's happening? And I didn't get it yet. <laughs> not so until, took- like, oh... No, all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. Right. I could, I could see what was written on the paper. I was like, no, <laughs> no. So yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was a little bit more in H's camp going through that movie, but I did, I did get a little bit of it here and there. I, I'm still surprised. I don't want to say disappointed because they did such a damn good job, and it's my favorite part of the movie. I just want to see more. Like, I want them to have, like an entire featurette, feature length, something of them going through different movies on the special edition of the Blu-ray. Like, just them, just f- different five-minute clips of them in stupid movies. I actually want to know, just special, just behind-the-scenes-wise, how they shot that Shining stuff. Because those shots look ripped directly from the movie, and you have those motion-capture Avatar characters walking through that environment. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is an insane level of special effects that looks flawless. I mean, I'm looking kinda, forward to finding out how. They kind of did it whenever um, they recreated Blade Runner. Um, uh, 
oh, I can't remember the actress's name, but they brought her back, like, CGI form. Oh, yeah, and the newest one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was just like, oh, my gosh, they made her look exactly like how she was, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, these special effects they're doing, especially the motion capture stuff, like, this, this is getting to a level that I think is starting to get done really, really well. Yeah, when when Ready Player Two inevitably happens, I'm I'm needing to see more <laughs> of scenes like that with different movies. Like I just think of all the possibilities. Like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if they did this one or this one or that one? And that's I think part of the fun is imagining that stuff too. I think maybe we we can theorize at the end of where we think this could go. But I think I read or heard somewhere that Ernest Cline is writing a sequel to Ready Player One. Right? Yeah, I think he actually already said it's going to be called Ready Player Two, which makes sense. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, that's the logical step. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he has been working on one, okay. from what I understand. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to play a sequel. Everything was wrapped up kind of ni- nice and tidy in the book right. the first time. Yeah. But I guess we'll find out. Uh, Ready although, Player Two, the search for Luigi. The, the, well, <laughs> here's the, the thing that would screw them up with mo- with book to movie is what doesn't wrap up in the book that they do wrap up in the movie is IROC. You get no ending, because IROC sells them out and then just disappears okay. in the book. And you get no... He doesn't show up again. You know, like, I read a couple people's, like, reviews and theories that, like, he redeems himself by fighting in that final battle with them. Different random ideas, but there's no ending for IROC in the first book. So mm-hmm. maybe there's something with that for the book, but obviously that doesn't play for the movie, because uh, we watched him die. So, uh, jumping off of Paula's idea of of search for Luigi, I really think Ready Player Two should just reference all the sidekick characters from all these video games and stuff. <laughs> like have Luigi and Tails and and I don't Billy. Know who else. Like yeah. <laughs> Just have all those characters get some get some t- screen time. I think that'd be great. That's right, have I have the, ideas. Have the yellow and blue version of Blanca yeah. <laughs> instead of the actual normal version. Get the yeah, bitch although, version. Although, if you both pick the same character, you get the uh, bitch version of them. All those lesser known characters. Well, maybe not lesser known, but the the lesser picked or selected characters from those video games. I think that would be fun. Ken. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to be Ryu. No one wants to be Ken. Yeah, no, nobody's like Ken. I've seen. I prefer Ken, but Ken is definitely the bitch character to write. <laughs> um, I mean, we talked a little bit. I think about the changes between the book and the movie. Uh, I, I I feel like we covered it, but I will ask it again. Mike, was there anything covered in the book that you wish they included in the movie? Uh, I mean, obviously for me, it's the Rush Temple of Syrinx. I wish they had done that. Okay. I knew it was too obscure. They could have at least played the song you know played the temple of syrinx at some point just for the hell of it yeah um but that, i mean me i'm a huge fan of rush so i'm kind of biased in that sense I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong seeing them go through monty python and the holy grail instead of the shining <sighs> yeah that'd have been pretty cool <laughs> it, it, but there's just so much there's like it's really hard to say 
Paula, hopefully we're not spoiling too much of the book for you that you still no. actually want to dive into this. You know me, I'm pro-spoiler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that, in that case, seeing a physical embodiment of Zork, um, <laughs> that might have been really fucking cool, too. Because, like, it, you, you know, I don't know if you've ever played Zork, but I, I've gone through that a few times just because it's such a different experience than what we even grew up with that it's fun to do it. And actually getting to see all of that and realized in is, is, is an actual vision, something we can see and touch. Refresh my memory. Is that like the text-only type of yeah. adventure game? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Zork was like the quintessential text video game. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, in the book, he has to go through it and complete it in order to do, I think it's something for the Jade Key. And I think that just would have been really fucking cool to see, just just to get to see the world of Zork. Right. As opposed to seeing it in my own head, see what somebody else's imagination comes up with for it. Um, I'm trying to think of anything for me. I mean, I talked about how I, I would have liked to have seen them flesh out a little bit more at the beginning and get a little bit more world building there. I think the Oasis was set up a little bit differently in the movie than it should have been from the book. I, I would have liked to have them explain that, you know, it's not just a place go people go to play virtual reality video games. That's where everyone experiences their life now is the Oasis. I don't know if they did a good enough job of showing that in the movie. At least following Parzival, he's just going from video game to video game to video game, and there's a lot less of just, like, hanging out and doing everyday things in the Oasis in the movie, which I, I would have liked to have seen expanded upon but i guess that slows down the pacing of the movie so they probably didn't want to dive that way so i understand why it's not there mm-hmm. i just would have liked to seen stuff like that um and right before the third uh act of the movie and that last puzzle and and battle sequence and all that stuff i'm trying to remember where in the book it happens i can't remember if it was right before or somewhere after but the book leads them to og and Og shows up a little bit earlier in the book than the movie. And that whole little sequence I would have liked to have seen in the movie too. But we get him by the end, so I'm okay with it. But there was a little I bit think, more in the book that I liked. Yeah, and speaking of that whole sequence, that to me was the part of the book that was the most touching. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because not only do you get Og coming back to help them fight what he knew his friend had built. Because in the book... There is no, that's something we should mention for you, Paul, there, there is no library or whatever. There is no, uh, what was he called in the movie? The the curator? Some, yeah. Curator. Yeah. There is no curator. There's not that. There's an almanac that they have that has all that information. They actually have to physically read it and all that in the Oasis. It's not, it's not some digital... Library. workshop that they can go in and check everything out and so in the real world Og finds them all pulls them all together um and by the end of the book the in in the real world uh wade does not actually physically meet samantha until after he has obtained the egg until the whole thing's over at the very end of the book, he actually meets her in person for the first wow. time. And then they fall right. in love? So, and then they're in love? No, they're in love before that. <laughs> okay. From the in-game stuff. <laughs> Just making sure. You get a sigh of relief from Paula. Yeah. 
I wasn't picking up the book otherwise. <laughs> you know, I but need they, a little they, romance. Like it's it's drawn out to the point where you know at the end that they finally meet. So it's an interesting context difference for the book. I don't know how well that would have played for the movie. Um, so, good thing, bad thing, that's up to interpretation. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you guys have a favorite moment from the movie? Um, I know one of you mentioned like that third act bad, or no, Paula was mentioning the first, the race. And the, um, right. the Winnebago from uh, Spaceballs, Spaceball <laughs> 1, was in um, H's Garage. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I think I missed that completely. Well, when I went back and read, and I have an amazing article, and I will totally um, post it on your Facebook page, Brian, but I was like, there was so much in his, in his her garage that I didn't <laughs> see. And when I went back, it was like, holy moly, Ferris Bueller's car is in there. Um, oh, okay. Because yep. the Winnebago was there for like a second, but it was up on like hydraulics. But there's so much going on in the race, so many details. Like, I love all those crazy little details, and I love picking that sort of thing apart. Um, I thought the pace for me was great. I don't even know how long the movie was, to be honest. Like, I think it was, it was definitely over two, two hours. hours. It was like two hours and 15. Something it like didn't feel like it to me. I just, it was one of, you know, one of those movies where mm-hmm. I didn't feel how long it was. It was just really great entertainment for me. I have a hard time finding negative things though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, one of the things I need to work on. <laughs> Finding the negative. That's what you got us for. You, you sure. can be the very positive one. We'll we'll try to tear stuff down if we need to. Okay, good. <laughs> and for me, the one thing, the, not my favorite moment necessarily, but I was going to speak to H's garage. Also, I think when it's H, you can say he, and when you're talking about Helen, you can say she. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're fair on that one. I'm not I'm not entirely okay. sure. It's something that. Uh, Bit of a conundrum. But in the book, you have H's basement, not H's garage. And I feel like you get just a little bit of H's basement when you have Parzival doing his changing in and out of outfits. Yeah. Scene, and that's... You just get that little hint of it, whereas... I feel like one of the places that I would most want to be that they talk about in the book is H's basement. They talk about him having like this full giant arcade, all these old movies everywhere. It's just like a hangout place where you feel like if you grew up in the early 90s, this was the coolest friend's basement you could imagine. Yeah. And I feel like they could have just included, I don't know, one scene in, in there just in the basement part instead of the garage. Just to push it so that you got a better idea of there actually being that chat room area. Because that's all it was, was a chat room. Got it. Which brings me to my two, I have to say two favorite moments. I'm not, I'm not going to say scenes, I'll just call them moments. Um, when Artemis has the alien pop out of Goro's chest into his face. <laughs> I, just the way the the friggin' avatar looks like chomping her teeth and chomping that <laughs> thing at the same time, it just that cracked me up. That was amazing. Um, and for me, the the biggest nerdgasm moment in the movie is 
uh, Daito hopping off of the Serenity, coming out in midair, transforming into Gundam, pulling out the energy sword and slashing into Mechagodzilla as he's coming to the ground. I don't think there's any way you could ever come up with that sentence except for Ready Player One. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that highlights my my favorite moment and Easter egg all in the same thing. Because the Easter egg for me was the Serenity ship showing up. I about lost my shit when that happened. Yeah. And you're right, when it leads into him bringing in Gundam to fight Mechagodzilla, you're just like, what the hell is happening? And I love every second of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh my god, oh my, oh my god. Just every moment there, and it all just flows into one amazing... Just like, wow. Uh, yeah, can't say enough about that. Joss Whedon will probably never write and direct, or and Warner Brothers will probably never make Serenity 2, but this might be the only other time we get Serenity <laughs> in another movie. That's, that's a good point. It may, it may come back. Ready Player 2, you know, if we get a movie. <laughs> Daito's not, he's not dead, he's coming back, you know. Uh, yeah, Parsons <laughs> will dress up like Captain Mal. <laughs> Oh, goodness. There's a lot of possibilities there. I'm down with it. And I'm sure Nathan Fillion would make more than a cameo if you <laughs> asked him. If you were just like, hey, Nathan Fillion, do you want it? Yeah, I'm in. Let's go. He'd um, show up as Cade Six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's... You, oh, okay. Yeah, now, now we're talking. That would be just... Like, have him just... Oh, I can't even... But... <laughs> Sorry, um, I blew Mike's mind. We gotta let him recuperate for That's a okay. Yeah. <laughs> now you know how what? I feel when Kylo and Ray touch fingers. <laughs> Just like that. Okay, so to, to get to my I had a other love gap. One favorite moment. I'm just gonna throw the <laughs> holy times. hand grenade at that one. Um <laughs> love gasm. holy hand I like grenade. that too. The holy hand grenade. The holy he, hand grenade. That was the inclusion of the holy hand grenade was just when he buys it, I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. And you think, like, it's just like, okay, that's all we're going to see of that. And then he actually pulls out the holy hand grenade and he's like, all right. It's like, oh, we're going to get to see what it does? Yeah. <laughs> like, I even forgot awesome. he had it. Yeah. I forgot about the Zemeckis cube until he pulled it out. You're just like, oh, cool. He bought a, you know, like, you don't know what it is. They're just calling it a Zemeckis cube. <laughs> you don't know that it's, like, this ridiculous, cool artifact. You're just like, cool. You know? Like, take it. But, uh, so yeah, and if you look, some of the, there are some obscure references in there. If it, like, I mean, everywhere, really. Oh, I know, but did you really think you'd see Battletoads? Oh, yeah. Like, that was one of the first things I picked out when, at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it was like, Battletoads? Like, of all things you're going to throw in here and prominently feature at least three times. Yeah. Like, they're not just there once. They're in the club scene. They're in the fight scene. They're, they must have like, been cheap. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, three times we're getting the Battletoads. All right. Three scenes like Battle of Battletoads <laughs> equals one Millennium Falcon reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I'm, I'm happier to see the Battletoads get some screen time than more for the Millennium Falcon. Because, you know, we, we see yeah, the Millennium the... Falcon. I'll see it again. In a month or so, yeah, and yeah, again, some of the deep cut references so. are are nice to have, just to sort of remind you that they exist. You might have not have seen or played any of the games or reference, watched any of the references for like ten or fifteen years, but you know, after watching Battletoads in a movie, I kind of want to play Battletoads, so it did its job. 
And then you play Battletoads, and you remember that, no, I didn't want to play Battletoads. Yeah, this game's hard as fuck. Why did I play this back then? Why am I playing it now? Just let me play something that I enjoy. Yeah, you just start pounding your head on the wall like, nope, this was a mistake. I vividly have nightmares about that fucking speeder bike sequence in Battletoads where you get to jump the pla- jump the hurdles and all that crap. Fuck that game. Uh, oh. Yeah, but you still get the giant fist punch. That's true. You, <laughs> you turn can, yourself like, into a wrecking combo. ball and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. Oh, good times. Um, anything, I think we pretty much hit everything I wanted to bring up. Anything you guys got left for Ready Player One? You want to touch on questions, anything? Spock's funeral. So sad, like, <laughs> at the beginning. Um, I like that. Shout out to my my girl, Jen Nickel, with the <laughs> Star Trek reference. He's been on the show before. Yes, super friend Jen. Um, it was most appreciated. Uh, the the funeral sequence there, that's another one that I like what they did with it. And I was still disappointed that it wasn't what it was in the book. In the book, it's he's in an 80s music video. <laughs> and all the extras are characters from John Hughes teen films that are just <laughs> like all the people dancing in the background. Like everything is just John Hughes teen filmed characters all over the place. And don't get me wrong, what they did with the Spock funeral, that was awesome. But I think about what could have been. Even oh, when he got up out of the coffin, I was like... Oh, was yeah, like, did, did the, did the was, Nosferatu thing. The... Oh, when he came up out of the coffin, I'm thinking like, okay, Dead Man's Party's gonna start playing. Dead Man's Party's <laughs> gonna start playing. And it doesn't happen. And I was yeah. thoroughly disappointed that that music cue didn't come through. Yeah, there there was a couple instances where I wanted other songs to play. And it like I said earlier, it just didn't happen that way. I feel like we're not gonna take it was just it felt out of place. <laughs> I like I'd, I'd give anything for like a recut of the movie where that's Rocky like a hurricane. Um, Europe's it, the final it, countdown. Yes, <laughs> throw that in there. There's so many opportunities for songs that were better, but all the same, can't win them all. No, I, I was very pleased that they actually did Mecha Godzilla. Um, yeah, that I, was a reference. I wasn't sure if they were going to get or not. Yeah, so I'm glad it, that was in there. Yeah, that was going to be one of the more difficult ones to do, and it was going to be like that expensive one to do and all that. Um, and it makes me think again to obscure references and crazy shit they did. But one of the negative reviews from the movie I seen is somebody complaining that the word fuck was in the movie. It's PG-13 and I'm like, yeah, but the context of oh, it's fucking Chucky. It's just like, you know what, I, I, I can let it go if it even if it pissed me off for that moment and then you see Chucky just bounce around and kill like eight people at once. Yeah. It's just like, that was That's awesome. That's true. That is, that is a that great moment awesome. that stands out too. Oh, and then this man <laughs> reminded me too, I had seen on Twitter, I think Colin Trevorrow who directed Jurassic World and was supposed to do episode nine, but then got cut. Anyway, uh, I remember after he had seen the movie, he posted on Twitter that he took his nine-year-old daughter, and as they're leaving the movie, she goes, Daddy, did you have a fucking Chucky? (laughs) So he was like, yep, thanks for that. (laughs) Awesome. I mean, it's worth it. (laughs) PG-13 movies get one F-bomb. They used it very, very well in this movie. Yes, they did. And I... And it speaks to another part of it that I want to mention, just because it was cool. It was something that wasn't in the book that I love that they added to the movie. 
was the field of the Sixers that you see just get mowed down oh, yeah. every time things happen. And then when the Mechagodzilla falls and the entire room dies underneath it. And that seems like a big set, like something that was physically there that they built that was lit yeah. like Tron. Like, I love that set. Yes. It, that was just awesome. And there's just so much there. Like, the, the whole damn movie was just so well done for what it was. It yeah. was unapologetic in what it was. It just, like, I feel like if they weren't, if they were being apologetic about what they are, they would have gone with Optimus Prime and not Gundam. They would have, yeah. you know, so many of the references would have been more mainstreamed to pop yeah. culture as opposed to some of the more obscure things. Like, um, even as popular as Monty Python is, I'm, I'm sure half the audience didn't know what the Holy Hand Grenade was. Oh, yeah. So, I'm sure they're getting a shit ton of revenue in Japan just from putting Gundam in the movie. Yes. So, like, you know, you gotta you gotta please that worldwide box office. Oh yeah, like if if they hear like, oh, Gundam is in this movie, yeah, all right, Japan's in. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, Got Gundam and Mechagodzilla. Japan is all in. Just take their money now. Gundam fights Mechagodzilla. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's not forget that part. Not that they're just both in the movie; they are fighting. <laughs> yeah. So, would it be like a fair question to say like? What did you enjoy more, the book or the movie? Ooh, that is a good question. <sighs> That's right. I'll ask the questions now. <laughs> Who's the captain? Now? Hey, I don't. I don't run the gambit on questions. <laughs> we can field them from whoever. Um, and this is maybe Ooh. because it's just been a while since I read the book, and the movie is more fresh in my mind. I'm going with movie right now. Now that could change if I read the book within the next month or so and be like, nope, the book is awesome. I really want the book. I call it a draw, personally. Um, I think the movie is more fun, but the book has more heart. Um, the book will hit you in the feels a couple of times. I feel like this movie never once hits you in the feels. It doesn't even... I don't that's think a it, fair point. It, it doesn't even try. Do you think Simon just, Pegg was cast correctly? Like, if that's the person who's supposed oh, to give yes. you the feels? Um, I, I think that moment with Simon Pegg is supposed to do it. And as good as he is, he comes close to getting you there. Yeah. But I don't think that was who I pictured for Og. But I'm not mad that it's Simon Pegg. I am I read the book after I knew he was Og, so I was picturing him as Og when I was reading the book, so Yeah. I don't have input on that. Um with the whole relationship, I think, between Halliday and Og sort of being that Steve Jobs-Wozniak dynamic, I just pictured someone that looked like Wozniak. Well, they, they do describe Og a little differently in okay. the book. Like, Og in the book is supposed to be a Santa Claus picture kind of character. Like, he's supposed to look like Santa Claus, kind of. Okay. They, they actually say that, like, in reference to him. Like, he he's a fairly rotund you know, guy with a long white beard and and then they say like, oh, and he kind of looked like Santa Claus. And it's just like they didn't do that. <laughs> but I didn't feel like, I don't feel like that appearance was important to the character. Yeah. I think he looked appropriate. Um, And of course, it's Simon Pegg, so he's gonna do his usual better job than most everyone else on screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
which in this movie was actually tough because he didn't get much time. Which is sad because I'm a peg he- head. I'll, <laughs> I'll take a minute. I love Simon Pegg. Yeah, it's they cast him in the right role. Unfortunately, that role didn't have a whole slew of stuff to do. Yeah. But it had important stuff to do. Which brings me to another point of something that I just wish had been done differently, as opposed to the bet. That That's one I'll say I, I legit wish was different. Just winning the bet gets him an extra life. And in the book, to get that extra life, he does kind of what... Um, I'm blanking for some reason right now, but... Um, the, 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 the guy... The one who made the Oasis. Halliday. Halliday. Yeah, I don't know why I blanked there for a minute. but So he he goes through the Oasis at one point after spending time in a specific place in the Oasis in the book where he does kind of what Parzival says that Halliday wanted you to do. But he says it in the movie at the end where Halliday just kind of wants you to roam around and play. Yeah. And in roaming around and playing in areas that really nobody ever spent much time in the Oasis, Parzival comes across an old Pac-Man arcade machine. And he notices the high score is like five points off of the maximum possible. And he's searching for one of the keys at the time, and he thinks he stumbled on something. And so he continues to play it until he actually manages to finish with the highest possible score. And it pops a quarter out at him. And he notices that, you know, like it says extra life on it then. But you forget about it by the time anything comes of it in the book. Yeah. And it's just like, I wish they had gone that route. Where, like, he earned it in some way, not just some random moment that they had to squeeze it in. I think he totally earned it. I think he earned that extra life in the movie. Um, I think that Og or the curator saw him as someone who was completely devoted in trying to figure out Halliday's life and trying to figure out he's the one who's worthy of that extra life. So I really think he he earned that. So, so are we assuming that's the only extra life that the curator has to give out? Yes. Okay. And Parzival is the first person in all of the people who have been trying to figure out the clues to the puzzles. He's the first one who's who actually like has heart when he's trying to figure these out. Not just See, I feel like he got it cuz he was the first person that knew something about Halliday that mm, Og didn't. I think Og sees more or the curator saw more in him than just somebody who's trying to win the game. Someone who really cares about Halliday. Right. And somebody that knew more about Halliday than Og would be that. Right. So that's why he so, he was worthy of that extra life. He probably saw him going further than anybody else. Okay. Fair. You've won Mike over. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I won't argue that. Do I, I win an extra life? What do I win? <laughs> You're in one. You win run free Raylo trash reference. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna save it. It's gonna be my extra. <laughs> I'll pull it out when I need it. That's what she said. That's what she said. Mm. Um. All right. So, uh, if we try to wrap up, if we just want to, we just want to try to go and give it like a rating out of ten. Sure. 
Everybody feel comfortable with that with that scale? Yeah. Uh, Paula, what would you give it out of ten? I would I would give it an eight point five. Okay. Any any reasoning for that? That's the number you settled on, settled on. Completely entertained. Love the references. Um, fantastic visually movie. There are some things that I didn't understand, so that's why it doesn't get a nine. Um, but okay. very close to a nine. Eight point five. Okay. Highly recommend uh, it to Mike. somebody even who has not read the book or has no idea what they're walking into. <laughs> yeah, I almost think it's better to go in like you did, just with not really any expectations whatsoever and just let it sort of wash over you and yeah. see how you feel coming out the other side. Yeah. Uh, Mike, where are you at out of 10? Uh, I'll give it a 9 out of 10 and a rush song over the final credits away from a 10 out of 10. <laughs> um. Yeah, I just, I feel like 9 is a solid place for it. It's not perfect, but I will certainly be watching this many, many more times in my life. Yeah. Um. You know, it got me to the theater three times, so I think that's saying enough about it. 10 out of 10 is a really tough score to achieve for me. <laughs> um, And today I don't feel like doing half scores, so we're going 9, not 9.5. Solid, solid. Uh, I think I'm falling somewhere in the 8, 8.5 range. Uh, I did really, really enjoy it. I liked a lot of what they did. I think just the the pacing still sticks with me, I think, more than it should, and that kind of bothers me. And I would have probably liked to have seen some more fleshing out of stuff from the book as far as world building, world building and some setup there and stuff like that. But I did, you know, just like you guys, I enjoyed the hell out of this one. I will definitely be watching it many, many times once it comes on home video. Especially even just to freeze frame it on a lot of stuff. And I think this will be a really fun movie to watch with some sort of director commentary over top of it. Explaining all the references that they put in and, and why they chose I, some of the things that they agreed. did. I think that'd be really awesome. You could have a drinking night for each day of the week on this on this movie. <laughs> I'm yeah. in. Every time, every time a Zemeckis movie's <laughs> mentioned, every time this one. Just make up different roles each time you play it for references. and You got, you got some drinking going on there. Yeah, that can happen. Uh, all right, so I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, please stop by iTunes and now Google Play. And, uh, of course, I don't know if you can leave a rating on Google Play. I'll have to look a little bit further. But I know iTunes, you can leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, be sure to share, subscribe, favorite the show, wherever you can listen to us at. You can find us on Facebook, search Bry Guy and Super Friends, or go to facebook.com slash Superfriends. And you can send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, any of that stuff there. Or you can email us, bryguysuperfriends at gmail.com, or tweet us at bgsuperfriends on Twitter. Neither of those I really check all that often. Paula knows, because she's commented on the Twitter account, which I rarely get to in Still a timely do. fashion. <laughs> yeah, I haven't checked it in probably a couple weeks, so There's I should gonna probably be some surprises. tagged us in. Surprises. Great. Yeah. As long as you don't need a timely reply, I'll, I'll get there eventually. She has filled your Twitter to. feed with Raylo shit. <laughs> She does that with my regular Twitter feed, so that's fine, too. Okay. Um, All right, so on behalf of Paula, Mike, and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.